welcome to a different page. We are back and I am here with the amazing Suzanne Gervais. Suzanne, hi. Hi. So glad to have you here and welcome back to Words and Nerds. I love Words and Nerds. I love Danny V. I love every single thing you do. I like your innovations and all other things. Yes, what is not to love? That is true. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that I get to interview today. I feel very lucky. So thank you so much for coming. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And for those listening, Suzanne is a multi-award winning children's and young adult author and speaker who advocates for several areas of change, including bullying and gender equality and many more topics. Um, today, we're here to discuss her book, Shadows of Olive Trees, which is a wonderful book and I cannot wait to get cracking. So I, I thought we'd start with the classic Words and Nerds opener, the elevator pitch. Did you want to give us a little summary of, of the book? The second rise of feminism was 1970s. And for those in the Me Too generation, that's all of us, it was all based on that. And it's really about three girls as they search for identity set against that turbulent period of the 1970s, the first refuge, contraception, mm. abortion, love, women seeking education, fighting against a really conservative society that has mm. already allocated women into their place, which is at home. Mm. So true and, and brilliantly address those themes. It was so, it felt like I was literally in the 70s reading this. I felt like I was right there. It was so well done. And um, so obviously a major theme is gender equality in the book. And when you sent me a copy of the book, Suzanne, I opened it and I saw the surprise little note that you'd written to me in the front and it was a little stroke of genius. I just wanted to read it out. So you said to Josie, understanding the journey towards independence is part of the pathway to equality. That is great. Tell me more about that. All right. Do you know what? Going to uni because it's really inspired by my own life. In reality, I write fiction, but my fiction is underpinned by truth because I just think readers know a liar. That's it. And when you speak, they just do. And when you speak to young people, young women and men, they just know if you're if you're lying. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I tell the truth. When I wrote this, it was um, a very contentious piece because I was doing it as part of my um, master's at UTS. And I had one of these conservative lecturers, name never to be revealed. Otherwise, I may end up in jail for defamation, but it's true. And <laughs> writing all this saying you know what's happened it was set up in Sydney University when I was there and the lawn and meeting boys and the second rise of you know feminism and he said well this is not true and I said beg your pardon it is true and he said no my wife was experiencing that and she didn't know about any of this and I felt like saying Firstly, what a crummy academic uh, response. Secondly, I was thrown out. I was, it was really bad. He said, I'm a man and I know about the second rise of feminism. And I said, I'm a woman and I really do know about the second rise of feminism. 
It was very contentious. And what happened was I ended up at UTS being chucked out and the then dean, Professor Yerbury, contacted me and said, oh, would you like to do it with me, the actual thesis and so on? I said, hmm, okay. But I was really upset. I just thought, you know, it was such an important time. It's when um, Gough Whitlam introduced the International Day of Women in 1975. Mm. It's, yeah, 1978, Louise Brown was the first test tube baby. Look, today, IVF is a given. It's moving ahead. Women have the right to choose if they're going to have children. Now they're going to have children. They can delay it, not delay it. And the thing is, IVF has become a right. It's still got a long way to go, certainly in Australia, I can tell you, because the laws are very archaic. But, um, you know, it was this marvellous period where it was truly burn the bra. And I didn't due to my own physique. I think it would have been quite challenging. But nevertheless, other women did burn the bra. I kept mine on. And it was also the time of um, contraception. Now, today everyone just assumes contraception is, again, a given. Well, it was not. Parents, especially parents who are conservative but even not conservative, they objected to contraception because they assumed it led to promiscuity and women having, you know, breaking those traditions Mm. that you young man and you marry and so on and it left no room no room for who you're going to be so this period this book when I wrote it it's like if young women today read it it gives you an understanding of the journey I get really upset when people say well we're not a feminist well can I say feminism is not anti-male and it Mm. never will I love my father. My brother is irritating, but I love him. What can I say? It's an old just drives you mad. My son is just gorgeous. Mm. You know, I've got a lot of men in my life and I love them. My nephew. But I think being a feminism is not against them. It actually empowers them Mm. to offer them the opportunity to have an equal relationship with a woman. And it's better. You know, at the moment we're talking about uh, coercive control, Mm. domestic violence. When you go back to Shadows of Olive Trees, you'll see where it's starting. Mm, You do. And what was it like living in that? in that time and you've described it so well and I've got a thousand questions that new ones that have just popped up I might chuck out the script I've got got a couple but I'll what what was that like being in that world okay it was a very turbulent world where you had one life at home Mm. I use in shadows of olive trees obviously Greek family look my family was also conservative it could be greek it could be lebanese it could be irish catholic at the time it can be any area where the parents want to control they want to control the direction of especially young women but also young men they've got their pathways what was it like growing up then it was like this you had a persona of obedience following the right path, 
But when you went out of your house, you were searching for identity. You wanted to read the literature. Look, you know, female eunuch. I mean, my God, that was so huge, you know, with Jermaine Greer and all the amazing writers. I read them all. It was interesting and and they're still relevant today. And a lot of people have not moved on. What else was happening at the university? There was a huge, there was the development of the women's clinic, which was a newbie at the uni, where girls who were, you couldn't get any contraception or any advice other than abstinence, which wasn't the most popular pathway at that time or any time. And the, <laughs> yeah, true. And the thing is, you could go into these clinics and they could talk about what happens. In my story, obviously, there's three girls at three different stages. Mm. There's Tessa, who comes from a very conservative second generation, you know, multicultural family. But that was exactly the same as if you came from an Asian family. If you came from an Arabic family, if you came from an Anglo family, especially with Catholicism at that time, which was very rigid, it was that conservative control of girls and what you're supposed to do. It's her. Then there's the her friend, her best girlfriend called Athena, and she comes from that next generation. She seeks freedom, and with that freedom comes heaps of mistakes because we're dealing with males who have not worked out that there is equality hanging around. Guys who still have those traditions of me, boss, you, girl. Mm. No, no. And it's not about women and girls being different. I mean, when you read the book, you know the girls are best girlfriends. I mean, I have best girlfriends and I'm older. We have girlfriends and we talk about stuff, not the stuff which always disturbs me, which I see often in very out there magazines and on TV where it's a complete exploitation of sexuality. I don't call that real girl talk. That is something to do with more pressure on women to conform to what we call sexual freedom, which is imprisonment. And I'll try and explain that. Yeah. Do. Okay. Do you know when you're free, you can go out, you do what you want. What's happened is in the 70s, there was a barrier. You weren't allowed to just, or you were, but it was just, it was regarded as poor to basically get a girl, you know, chatter up and, you know, get her pregnant or whatever. There was a barrier to that automatic sexuality. Today, with um, online dating and going out, the barrier has dropped. I think young women are vulnerable. Mm. I think they're vulnerable. Because we're not equal yet, do you think? Because the education isn't there yet. Not everyone knows the the rules and has educated about consent and about all of those different aspects. Is that what you mean as far as? Yep. And also, look, you know, girls and boys, young people, they want to have a relationship. They're normal. There's desires, love, romanticism. But now with the breakdown that the girls don't have the protection 
of a society that says there are rules. You can't just date and rape, as they say, whereas today it's become a little confused. And so you go out with a guy and they assume sex is a given, and it is not. It is not. It is about choice. It's about developing relationships, and we're in this new area of weirdness, like during the 70s, Yes, we were breaking down that control of parents and society, which said girls had to um, marry, they had to, uh, you know, maybe work at home, maybe be teachers. In fact, in my period, do you know time in the 70s, do you know women could not get home mortgages themselves? It had to be only for a man. At that time, a, uh, a lot of employment Women, if they married, had to give up their job. Like mm, one or the other. Very, yeah, a very conservative and controlling time. And that was breaking down in my time. Great. It needed to break down. We needed to pursue our dreams. And as that was breaking down, we were seeking freedoms. And, of course, with freedoms comes, you know, the great challenges of, you know, I bring up domestic violence the first refuge was in the 1970s that was huge the first refuge where and you know women went to that refuge it was Elsie's up absolutely in the inner city and they went to that refuge and why what why it was so important how could they leave their husband they may be beaten they may be coercive control whatever it is but they've got no money they're not working that's it. They've got it. So it's it's and that period was very exciting that we saw those early stages of women trying to get some control over their lives and the backlash about a patriarchal society which was denying it. And now we have moved further, but we've got new problems. Mm. It's we haven't dealt with the first issue of equality we Mm. just haven't and you know what when you see I mean I look at the young girls and I get really concerned because they don't feel like they're in control they feel like there's another narrative going on want to please the guy where they've got to be cool where the media says they've got to act in certain ways which are free but the freedom is an imprisonment. They have to have their own choice. Whatever they want, they choose, they discuss. Mm. So, you know, it's quite confusing. Yeah. Different times. You know, it seems like there's, from what you say, there's another narrative which is selling a different form of serving and a different form of imprisonment, which is it's it's selling it under a different name. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. And do you know what? One of oh, I love her. I don't know if you know Jess Hill. She is a ABC journalist, and she's written that amazing series of, of books. Yes, you know, what, which is on the yes. Yeah. See Sorry. what made me do? That's the one. Yep. Yeah. She is the most amazing human being, and I was interviewed with her. How privileged am I? I was talking about um, how youth literature is a form of giving young people a voice so that they can have control over their life. 
she was talking about obviously her research into domestic violence. And she said to me at the beginning, which I found interesting, she said, when I started, I was an ABC journalist, I'm professional, and I came in with no views. Males, females, equal, there's takes two to tango. I hate that concept, two to tango, like the raped and the rapists are the same, the murdered and the murderer are the same. You know that two to tango? I think it's okay to say someone is responsible for the crime, don't you think? (laughs) Well put. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking and she said when she started, she was being very egalitarian. She said by the time she finished and she'd spoken to the men, the women, so on. She said, really, 90% plus are women under coercive control. When um, there is violence against men, it's women who are really pushed to the wall, who are defeated, who have no resources left. Mm. And she said it is about... Um, males not being able to understand an equal relationship. And when she was saying that, I just felt, oh, gosh, have we gone that, Have we haven't gone to the right mm. places yet. And one of the things about, say, Shadows of Olive Trees, it's the 70s, but when you read it, you understand the issues of then are the issues of now. Mm really, you know, and it challenges you on the questions of women's rights to control their body, Mm. you know, if you agree or don't, yeah, well, if you agree or don't agree, say, on abortion, you as a friend, what do you do? Do you support your friend? Do you leave them in the gutter? Do you force them or support a choice for an unwanted child? There's more options today, which I think is marvellous, in that the barriers of criticism have dropped. That I like. Mm. So that if you choose as an unmarried mother to have a child, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. And also we do have um, support, financial support, which I think is okay too. It helps the equality, but it's still got... When you talk to Jess Hill, it's got a long way to go mm. yet. Yes, and I find that that part so hard, that frustration of, oh, I just feel like, as you're saying, while there's there's positive change, it still feels like it's miles away from this this equality. And what do you do with the hope and how do, how do you personally balance hope versus disappointment with this? Well, a lot of women in this country are choosing to go it alone, and I don't necessarily say that's an optimal optimal position. Um, My son chose to have a lovely wife and his family. They're very happy. But I think, firstly, just to be in a relationship in order to conform to a stereotype of what you're supposed to do is no go. I don't agree with that. If you choose to go with someone, it has to be an equal choice and there's got to be benefits for both of you, how you work it out. So I feel today um, the bastions of inequality are still alive and well. And they're often not alive and well in my own social group because I've got normal friends and, you know, 
and normal guys. And my son is gorgeous and he would never um, betray his wife and values of equality. But the bastions of power, which is politics and the law, mm. they haven't changed. That when women are trying to create um, meaning in their life, searching for identity, they often confront a legal system which is misogynist. You only have to go to family law and see misogyny live and well. Yep. Or um, politics. I mean, all these cases that are coming out in politics uh, about abuse and treatment, it's frightening to think, and it's, by the way, all parties. Do not think oh, yeah. it's one or the other. It's not. Why do they feel when they're in this position of government, that they can deny human rights. Why? And it's because they don't have any checks and balances in Parliament, really, mm. do they? Mm. They are the law. And absolute power is always dangerous, if you ask me. So, you know, when I was writing this book, Shadows of Olive Trees, I thought about all the issues that I confronted as I was growing up from the end of school through to the end of university where I was trying to seek my pathway into the future. And you know what? I was challenging it. I didn't want marriage particularly, even though that was the right way. And if you want sex, you have to be married or risk the consequences in a world which offered very little choice. So, you know, I explore that, but also I explore something which secretly we all want. Do you know what we all want? Professor Davids. We want romantic <laughs> love. We <laughs> want Darcy. Don't we, do. we? We all want Darcy in any shape. We want the lake. We want the wet T-shirt. We want the whole lot. Yes, that is what we want. And you know what? You know, when I wrote this, I wrote it from a real perspective, from real, Mm. you know, young women, real young men. And you know what? We're not, we want equality, but we also want love. We do. And we have our romantic dreams, you know, of a man putting his arms around us and our romantic, you know, and that's part of it. And I think some parts are quite essential mm. my oh, daughter yeah. yeah isn't it funny when I wrote it my daughter read it um and she said mum I said yes I didn't know what didn't you know you write all this sexual business I said <laughs> that is the most embarrassing thing I've ever read from my mother I said that's right that's me and I said <laughs> but the thing is um when you you have to acknowledge the many parts of us. We, you know, you've got to acknowledge that we want love, we want caring, we want to walk along the beach hand in hand. You know, it. it yeah. You want to acknowledge you- it, the desire. I think the fact that you know we think that tradition, like in traditional times, or who we would class as traditional women, aren't full of desire like everybody else. You know, or we think, oh, my mum or my grand, she wouldn't have. No, they didn't even want sex back then as you know that's that was also part of the narrative about women is that we're not sexual so that you know hence the the pushback but 
Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, I have to ask you in the book, did you secretly love Professor David's? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, I did. And the moment they started flirting, I thought, oh, I really want them to hook up. <laughs> of course. And you know they weren't allowed. He was the lecturer. She was a student. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. And, yeah, and I think that um, when you're writing within a historical period, which has relevance today, you need to not write it as a polemic. You read it not to, and you embrace the period and all the things that are asked. And one of the key things that I do explore is the power of girlfriends. Honestly, how do you live without your girlfriends? Oh, like, so true. They mean everything to you, really. And just don't you think it's true? Mm. People, like, they, you know, my daughter's best friend, she meets them you know, every weekend, I mean, she can't live without her, even with a man or not a man. It's and true. they help you work out, isn't it? And, you know, the beautiful Athena, when she goes over to the Greek islands and finds her Christos, who is a pretty bad vagabond, he <laughs> is exploiting her. We know this. We know this. The relation. We know this. Very <laughs> handsome. Very which is very romantic. They're one of the last players. Oh. But the key issue is we're friends, don't you? You do, don't you think? There's survival. Friends. And when you, I mean, in those moments where you're talking about earlier about you in the 70s, you couldn't even have a conversation out loud about those desires. And your friends were the only time, I'm sure, actually, I'm not sure, I don't know, but were they the only yes. people that you could, yeah. Yep. yep. There was a real silence everywhere. But your girlfriends were the part where you could share those great things. And there's great. Look, one of the issues which is pivotal to the book is that women have the right to not only control their own mind and dreams, but their body. Mm. That is a key issue. And one of the key issues of the 70s and that feminism. And you know what? It offers an opportunity in a safe place through story, to think how would you behave? What do you think? The Australian girl, Jenny, goes off on holidays with her boyfriend and, of course, <laughs> comes back with the disaster of pregnancy. Mm. And, and what do? does she Yeah, go on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's it. And you do think to yourself, you'd like to think that you'd be the most supportive friend, but I, I don't know. It's the 70s and, you know, even myself, I grew up very um, conservative Christian and I know 10 years ago, I would have freaked out. I don't know if I would have been there, whereas now it's a different story. I would have driven there myself with the person. But I think, yeah, you'd like to think at the time that you would have been there, but with the conditioning and with your, you know, your mind is, is full of conditioning. So you just don't know. And, and you know, when you come from, as in this story, the, they come, you know, one of the challenges, what, was that Tessa, the main character, comes from a conservative family, but they're loving. Mm. They want the best for her. They are not evil, horrible people. They're people who are bound up in the traditions of what culture demands. So Mm. we've got this difficulty in that she doesn't 
want to hurt the parents she loves, who will put their lives down for her, but who also destroy her dreams, her hopes, whatever. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard. And they criticise what is her normal exploration of life. But at the same time, as she explores, what she finds is, is freedom is dangerous. Mm, I loved that part when she realised, you know, that that time when she did go to the clinic and she just wanted to go back home to her family. She had that moment of the the, the clashing of worlds. And that actually brings me to my next question. Ah. I, well, actually, there's two parts. The first thing is I loved how you described that dynamic of the family was harming her in some ways, but also you can see that they loved her and, and that was so well written. Um, but how do you think a person can nurture their relationship with their more traditional family members while moving forward with their own truth? Very hard. Yeah. And look, I don't, and look, everyone is going to be particular, but it's very, very hard because especially if um, it is traditional and especially if they're religious, meaning not religious in being, you know, over the top, but just church going and whatever those values are, mm-hmm. they're not enough you're going against your family, you're going against the church. Mm. You're going against God. God. That's pretty tough. You're going against God. Does that make you a sinner? Mm. Those are the great questions you work out. One of the things is in this book, and Tessa continually confronts the love of the family, her love of church and culture, the love she has growing up, Mm. and her complete desire to study, to learn, to be free, to be young, to, you know, find her own love. How do you manage it? With huge conflict. Huge conflict and often lies. Lots of lies. Lots of deception. The answer is, you know, there should be a way through it. No, there's not. Value clash is the hardest thing to make work it's the most painful and I remember having a friend who was a Greek boy gorgeous and he fell in love with an uh, Aussie sort of girl who was gorgeous too and he wanted to marry her and the result was and he loved his family so much they would never speak to him again he did marry her that was the price yeah, and it, it is, I guess you're right, it's not a, an amazing path forward. It's, it's, it is a one or the other and a lot of times, isn't it, with the value clash that you have to choose. And I love that with Tessa's journey that she eventually chooses one. I'm not sure if I can give it away. She chooses <laughs> no, one way. I agree. <laughs> but I, I really love that. And, um, and I, what I found interesting was how that she manages the love that she has for her mum. How does she love her mum? with boundaries obviously in the time that wasn't an option in in her situation but I guess if Tessa was alive well it's 2022 how would she I guess love her mum and her family with boundaries or is it the same sort of thing like she might not be able to depending well I think her mother and again I don't present the parents and that generation as evil because they are not they're loving, they're caring, they have a value system which hasn't recognised equality. 
They also believe when Tessa or Athena marry, they'll be looked after forever by their husbands. And it's not true. That's not how it works. It may, and that's what we hope, that so many, you know, difficulties come in the way. Today, I think, and I hope, because Tessa has more freedom today, that perhaps she could force her mother, take her from that imprisoned cage she's <laughs> in serving. And, but you know what? When I was writing it, even though the girls are in prison through, the, through that um, rigid social structure, so are the boys. Mm. Oh, yeah. So are the boys. Like her brother. I mean, he might want to do something else. No, he's got to do what the parents say. And especially when you come from, you know, uh, refugee or immigrant families, the boys have got so much pressure to conform, to go into the family business or study or do this, look after this. It's, there's still a lot of pressure. No one is free. And that is something I wish to, re, you know, resolve. I feel really sad when Tessa is in that forced relationship which her parents organise. Mm. And that guy, John Pappas, he's not mm. bad. He looks good, but uh, mm. could you imagine? Him? I know, I cannot. And <laughs> I cannot. Oh. But the thing is, is he bad? No, he just no. doesn't understand. It's like this solid guy who's got good values has captured a nightingale, you know? Mm. Yes, and you, and you write that so well in the book. You, you can tell when you're reading it that even Tessa spots that. She notices he's a good guy and she and she sees that. And, and I like that she acknowledges it. She goes, no, like, and she even to some degree gives him a bit of space to be and she gives him a bit of room and yeah and you do see that and it's you're right because we're whole we're whole beings and 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 I love what you're saying before about how it does impact men and and when you were saying at the very start of this um interview that equality when people say oh you know feminism is man hating or gender equality is anti-man it's like no the patriarchy hurts men it hurts everyone and and the aim is to heal all and you know one of my heroes is is Emma Watson, who is the United Nations Ambassador for Equality for Women's Rights. And she set up the He for She movement, of which I belong to. And yes. that amazing, oh, God, I love her. That amazing young woman stood up and advocated for equality. And what she wanted is that he's the men to join her. She said, we can never get equality sorry, quality, unless he for she, unless my brother stands beside me, unless the young man in my class stands beside It can't work. And then we all come together. Mm. When she started that movement uh, for the United Nations, she said she got so much hate mail. Mm. And she was a bit afraid mm. because... And I was sort of thinking, oh, that was so distressing. But you know what happened in the end? All these, she's a film star, of course, all these film stars and people like uh, like um, 
uh, Jake, Gil, I can't say his name, Gil, Gillenhol. What's yeah, that I, terrible name? I can name? never say I love Is it Gillenhol, Gillenhol? Okay. I've got no idea. Yes. <laughs> okay. A lot of those really cool dudes, they joined her in the he for she movement. They stood up and said, I am a feminist, mm. you know, and I thought that was such a beautiful extension of what the aim of Shadows of Olive Trees is. It's about the girl standing up and the guys coming in and say, I stand up for feminism. And I really worry about sometimes the modern uh, media and so on acts as though feminism is a dirty word and we don't need it. The truth is feminism is always about equal rights, not that we're the same. I promise you that I'm a female and I think like a female and, you know, I will give birth and I will do this and that. I am not a male, but I'm equal. I need equal rights and equal opportunities to develop as I wish. And do you know what? It gives males freedom to do that too, mm. really. It does. Yeah. It is. It's all for all. He for she is. It's it's everyone. Mm, and it's so everyone. I love it. Yes, so well said. And and I think and with I guess International Women's Day coming up again yes. in this year in March. What, yes. what would your message be for all women charging into twenty twenty two? And I know you've said so many profound things that are already very inspiring. But if you could put one sentence out to all women. Actually, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> okay. I don't mind the pressure, Women's Day, Women's Day. What I really want is that young women, especially young women, before they act, take 10 seconds and think, what are the consequences of my action? I've seen a hot guy. Yeah, he's mine. Consequences. You might see him you know, treating the waiter badly. Mm. You might see him disrespecting his mother. You might see him disrespecting girls. Think, ask you to spend that 10 seconds to think, what do I really want in my life? Mm. You know, do I want to travel? Do I want to save the world? I don't mind. Do you know, it's so much to explore, enjoy, not only enjoy, to work out, spend the 10 seconds and think so that you just don't dive into one problem after another. And, you know, I'm older now and I can tell you I live with all those women who have dived into those shocking problems and they're in court and they've got child issues and they've never found their purpose of life. Just take a bit of time. You're not in a rush. Think. Talk to your girlfriends. Work out where you want to be and then go for it. That's what I think. Yes. Oh, I love that. So well said, Suzanne. Oh, I think that's a brilliant place to wrap up. That's just fantastic. Oh, well, um, where's the best place to buy your books for all the people who have been listening or to buy Shadow of Olive Trees at least? You can buy it on Amazon and also there's an audio which is on every audio platform and I would love people to get the audio because you go on your long drives and it's so much fun to listen. It's a beautiful audio uh, production by uh, it's called Voices of Today, but it's on all the platforms. I'd love you to do that. If you've got Kindle, it's free. But 
Shadows is on Amazon. And, of course, you just go to Booktopia for all my other books and find them. And please, I'm asking you, go to my website, sgervay.com. Have a look what's there. And I love people writing me messages because I answer mm. you. Yes. Yes, it's yeah. so true. You, you, I just, I just know that you would. The moment I got that personalized note in the book, I thought, oh, this is a different person. This is a person who I want to get to know. So it's been a pleasure today. And you can also go to um, her Instagram page, at Suzanne underscore Gervais as well. I've just seen here as well. Um, oh, I have just started TikTok. I have never been on TikTok. I have got three. I've been told by my friends I'm an idiot on it. I'd just like to share that with you. <laughs> I said, well, I'm my own idiot. They said, why don't you do something better? I said, forget it. I am now an official TikToker. Three yes. episodes. Yeah. I love Find that. me. What is your TikTok, just Suzanne Gervais? Um, underscore author. Underscore author. Oh, you're going to have four followers now after this, at least to get started. I <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> Thank you so much. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of A Different Page. We will have Suzanne back, I'm sure, very soon again. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks again, Suzanne. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to A Different Page, spin-off series of the Words and Nerds podcast. This song belongs to the artists, Humans on the Floor. My name is Josie Layton, and you can find out more about me and this podcast at my Instagram page, Josie Layton. So that's J-O-S-I-E-L-A-Y-T-O-N. Thanks, guys.